Hi, and welcome to Take Some Time Off with me, your host, Maeve. I am an educator, a yoga instructor, and wellness advocate who recently quit her job in New York City and moved across the country to Salt Lake City, Utah to take some time off. This podcast explores what it means to use my time productively and provides practical tips to make meaningful use of your time too. We'll talk about burnout, speak to people making subversive career choices, and reflect on wellness in society and in our lives. So come on, let's get mindful and be well. Get ready to take some time off. Well, 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 look who it is. It's me and you here together again for season two of Take Some Time Off (laughs) with me, Maeve. You might notice that I sound especially giddy this evening. I think it's because I'm currently sitting underneath a blanket as I have made a podcast creating fort in my office. Um, I might also be super excited because I have been working so hard to get season two ready for you all and really make sure that what I'm producing and what I'm sending out into the universe is high quality and really intentional. So here's what you're going to hear about this season on Take Some Time Off. I was super excited about the fact that that just sounded a lot like an intro to like a Bachelor montage, (laughs) and I wish that it were a Bachelor montage, but instead, uh, it's me again, just talking about the podcast. But anyway, here's what we've got coming up. So the format is going to change a bit. So previously, I was doing a bi-weekly, so two times a month, uh, release. And I think that that can leave a lot of time in between and you might want to take some time off in between every two weeks. So I'm going to do two big episodes and two little episodes every month. So the first episode of the month will be a long one. The second one will be either a meditation or a short reflection, like a quote, something to think about, and then a journal prompt or just a thought prompt. So those will be short, like about 10 to 15 minutes. And they're more um, like guided exercises for you to take on and make some time for yourself in those moments. And then And the second long episode of every month will be an interview. I realized that I am just one voice and my perspective, though amazing, (laughs) just kidding, my perspective is limited, right? And my experiences and even my experiences of burnout and actually particularly my experiences of burnout are very much shaped by my identity as like a cis white woman who grew up middle class, um, in the Midwest, right? And so we'll be hearing from people from different uh, identity spaces who take up you know, different spaces in society. So we'll be talking to my friends who identify as queer and some people of color, and we'll be talking to people of different ages. Hint, hint, it's my mom. <laughs> Um, and then I'll still be giving you hopefully the content that you liked before, um, my thoughts on wellness, on practices that you can integrate into your life. And at the end of every episode, I want to make sure that I always leave you with some really practical tips about how to make better use of your own time. 
And as promised, I have a couple other special, perhaps more logistical announcements for all of you burnouts. <laughs> That's what I've begun calling my listeners. <laughs> I hope you like it. Um, sort of pretentious to have a name for my listeners, but sort of cute, right? <laughs> anyway, um, two new things that uh, you can get involved with. Number one, I have stickers and they're super cute and they're made by a really talented artist and friend named Jimmy. And um, you can get one for free in a couple of ways. First of all, um, all for the month of June and July, um, you will be able to review my podcast on um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And then if you send me a screenshot on Instagram at take some time off podcast, I will send you a sticker or two. Um, the other way that you can get a sticker is in a really exciting method. And that would be by becoming my patron on Patreon. So um, one life update that I have for you is that I am going to be starting grad school again, my second go around, but this time to hopefully obtain a doctorate degree, which is um, something that I have been thinking about and honestly didn't really believe that I could do. And I've kind of worked up the courage and then with a lot of synchronicity, it kind of worked out that that's happening next year. Woo! So, um, anyway, all of that is to say that I am not making a lot of money, but I still want to provide this podcast for you, as well as the work that I do on Instagram at Begin the City, um, and the yoga classes I provide here in Salt Lake City, and the meditations I do online. So, anyway, if you have an extra dollar or two and are interested in supporting me um, through Patreon, you get some stuff too. So there are three tiers of support and then I'll say them now and then just go ahead and check it out online um, at my website or on Patreon. My website is mavewall.com. Another exciting update. Look at all this. Um, But anyway, on Patreon, there are three tiers, three ways to support me um, and support takes some time off and the work that we're doing. Uh, Tier one is called a baby burnout. You can pay a dollar a month and with a dollar a month, that's $12 a year. Um, you're going to get a sticker from me and you'll also get email newsletter updates uh, monthly. If you have a little more money to give and I totally recognize that like not everybody does and you are no way obligated, even if you are my mother, mother, you are no way obligated to, um, to donate. But if you're interested, um, the second tier is a community member. It's $5 or more per month. And to become a community member, you will get a sticker and newsletter updates like the above group, but you'll also get a invite to a private discussion group where you can connect with other people who are also interested in this idea of burnout and finding wellness in society that encourages you to not really be well, right? And talk to other people about how we can take back our time. Um, And you'll also get some exclusive live meditations with yours truly. And the final tier is for the high rollers. Um, These are the advocates. So if you sign up to be an advocate, you'll pay $10 a month, which is 10 times 12. That's like $120 a month. I mean a year, a year, 
which is not so bad, really, when you think about it. Um, but as an advocate, I would consider you just as a crucial part of this show as I am. And so you'll get all this stuff that I mentioned before, but you'll also get to talk to me one-on-one um, about upcoming episodes. I'd like to talk to you about content you think I should include, and I will credit you in every episode in the show notes as one of my advocates who's supporting this work. So those are the ways to get involved. I'm really excited about kind of like um, taking some more steps to make this podcast more official because I think what it really uh, is for me is kind of um, giving myself permission to really put myself out there and believe in what I'm doing. And um, I've been reflecting a lot in the past year about how like the idea of being like an entrepreneur or um, even just a creator, any like a creative being uh, is really scary to me because it's scary to put your stuff out there and then have it possibly be rejected or maybe even worse, ignored, right? And um, what I'm learning is that there is so much um, worth in what I'm doing and not necessarily the results. Um, which is the whole point of this podcast, right? Um, that we don't need to be productive. We just need to be us. And um, what I'm finding is that the more authentic and the more you know real and dedicated I am to this, the more it really does pay off anyway. So um, here I am sitting underneath my blanket talking to you now, and uh, I'm stoked. So... Without further ado, those are the announcements I have for you. That's where we're headed in the podcast. You can get all of this info again on um, mavewall.com. And then don't forget to check out my Instagram handles. Um, Those of you who know me personally know that I'm a big grammar. (laughs) And those are at take some time off podcast for stuff about the podcast and lots of like artwork related to burnout and wellness. Um, or you can follow me at veg and the city that's like veg and the city. And that is the account that I started first. And it has more to do with, um, healthy eating, veganism, yoga, kind of reflections on social justice and body image and kind of a wide range of issues that have to do with like living a mindful and thoughtful life. So check me out. But for now, let's check in to episode one of season two of Take Some Time Off. Okay, so today I want to talk about wellness. Wellness, you might ask. (laughs) Don't you talk about wellness every single episode in some capacity? Yeah, I think so. But um, that's sort of the point because wellness is this very vague word that's become very on trend, right? That can mean a lot of different things. And some of the ways that we use the phrase wellness can actually be really unhealthy and really harmful. So that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about wellness, what it means to me, and what it absolutely does not mean. So this June, an author named Jessica Knoll published a piece in the New York Times in the opinion section called Smash 
the wellness industry. And I personally had two people send it to me uh, individually, plus a lot of people share it online. And what it looks like is that the ideas that she puts forth resonate with a lot of folks out there who have been in some way affected by the so-called quote unquote wellness industry. Um, so Noel's basic premise of her piece is that when we say wellness, what we really mean is diet culture. And when we refer to diet culture, we're talking about limiting people's, uh, choices, their actions, and how they feel about themselves based on their body type, which is way, way not okay, but you're probably already, especially if you're a woman or gender non-conforming, you're probably listening to this and like, yeah, I know. And it affects all genders and all people. So um, I'm going to read a couple quotes from the piece that really struck out to me. Um, so the first thing that she says is that she has a, herself a poisonous relationship with her body that she got by her association with wellness and that wellness cult culture is actually a dangerous con that seduces smart women with pseudoscientific claims of increasing energy reducing inflammation lowering the risk of cancer but at its core wellness is about weight loss it demonizes calorically dense and delicious foods, preserving a vicious fallacy. Thin is healthy and healthy is thin. So let's stop right there. That is a really strong point and I think one that deserves unpacking because when we associate thin with healthy and healthy with thin, um, we are perpetuating and acting in a way that is fat phobic. So if that is a word that you haven't heard before, I'm here to introduce it to you. The word is fat phobia. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot more since I read this piece, which is awesome. Um, so the idea of fat phobia is that uh, many people have just this like innate fear and hatred of fatness, right? And we'll do anything as a culture to not be that. And um, lots of science is there to say that um, you can't tell a person's fitness level from their BMI, that in fact, sometimes people who are really thin and look um, like they're up to society standards are actually very dangerously unhealthy and vice versa. And um, when we put a certain and very small you know, range on what type of body is acceptable in our society, then we are indiscriminately and without reason um, harming many, many people who don't fit that unrealistic image. And in reality, all of our bodies are made to be different and they're made to be different sizes. And it would be so ridiculous if we all were the same size, right? Um, so fat phobia is something that she calls attention to. I don't think she uses the word directly, but um, that's what she's talking about. And so we'll come back to that idea. Okay, I'm gonna keep reading. She goes on to write, the wellness industry is the diet industry and the diet industry is a function of the patriarchal beauty standard under which women either punish themselves to become smaller or are punished for failing to comply. And the stress of this hurts our health too. So let's break that down. 
girls. Um, so in this part, she's talking about how this idea of um, meeting beauty standards set by men, right? The male gaze um, is just another way to keep women down. Um, and I think we talked about this a little bit last season, right? But those beauty standards um, are there to ask us to spend more money and spend more of our time dealing with um, looking the way that a man or men as a whole have said that we should look. Um, and if you have questions about the male gaze, you know, look it up. But um, the male gaze refers to the fact that most films, most magazines, most photos um, are directed by men of women. So what we're seeing is the type of woman that a man thinks he wants to see, right? We're not seeing women depicting women in the way that they think is beautiful or just, you know, realistic. Um, but anyway, so if we are subjecting ourselves to that same male gaze, then what we are really doing is punishing ourselves for this like BS standard that we shouldn't be falling, you know, victim to at all. And that's keeping us from doing more important things like becoming the president of the United States or, um, you know, taking down <laughs> capitalism. There are two ideas I have. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, it's keeping us tied up in ourselves and in hating ourselves. And it's unhealthy and it's made up. So let's keep reading. She says, I am a thin white woman and the shame and derision that I experience for failing to be even thinner is nothing compared to what women in less compliant bodies bear. Wallowness is a largely white, privileged enterprise catering to largely white, privileged, already thin and able-bodied women promoting exercise only they have the time to do and tusking kale only they have the resources to buy. Okay, so that's a really um, another really important critique. Um, the idea that when we think of wellness, like if you if you imagine that word in your head and think of somebody you think like embodies that, I'm sure that you're thinking, um, or most people will be thinking of like a white thin woman, right? Um, that's who it's made for. That's who it's catered to. And if you look around in yoga classes um, or Pilates or bar, you know all these things that are associated with like wellness. Um, they're full of, of thin white women for the most part. And when we make spaces like that, um, unknowingly or knowingly, we exclude others, right? Because if the idea that we're setting from a high society standard all the way down to like you and conversations with your girlfriends um, before you go into yoga class, we are um, making it clear that we all want to fit into this thin white norm and that makes it feel like anyone else isn't welcome there um, and there are definitely some spaces that are changing um, there are space there are like yoga spaces for people of color when I lived in Brooklyn there was a space called um, the third root yoga center and that was um, based on they had specific classes only for queer people and only for people color, of color to kind of counteract this norm but um, that is a lot of what happens um and then also the fact that most of the teachers of any of those classes are thin white women and how that um also affects how they're teaching and who wants to take their class 
Um, so this idea of wellness is exclusive and it's unfair. And um, it also, I think there's it's also a really good point that it's expensive. Um, not only is it determined by race and body size, but it's also way, way, way determined by class. Because if you're a single mom with you know five kids at home, um, wellness is gonna have to look really different for you. And it's not realistic for you to be going to bar and then like slow cooking all of your meals um, in that capacity. So that's another way that wellness can be problematic. And then I'm gonna continue reading. Here's her last um, point that I think is really important. Finally, wellness also contributes to the insulting cultural subtext that women cannot be trusted to make decisions when it comes to our own bodies even when it comes to nourishing them. We must adhere to some sort of program or we will go off the rails. We cannot push to eradicate the harassment, abuse, and oppression of women while continuing to serve a system that demands we hurt ourselves to be more attractive and less threatening to men. And yet that is exactly what we are doing when we sit around the lunch table and call our stomachs horror shows. Um, So this last piece, hits me so hard because, um, and I'll talk about this in a sec, but um, I definitely am someone who has totally fallen victim to like, I don't know what to do with my body, so I'm gonna follow any other guide that I can find to tell me how to get my body to where I think it's supposed to be. Um, And I mean, think about whether or not you've ever dieted or how many women you know that have, um, and I'm sure that you're thinking of many, many people, uh, and compared to men, right? Think about how many men you know. It's a, it's a different number. Um, it's, a, it's an unspoken truth that um, women don't know what to do with their body or how to take care of themselves or are doing it wrong if they're not eating Tuscan kale, you know, or are not keto. Um, and that's a huge problem. And I think until we learn how to take care of ourselves, we're never truly well. Um, and that's what I'll talk about next. So anyway, that's, um, my thought on, um, this piece in the New York times, go check it out. Um, it's called smash the wellness industry by Jessica Knoll. And I would love to hear after the episode, what you have to say about her thoughts. If you have any you know, feedback, any pushback that we can engage in, um, or if you've had experiences that, you know, resonate with this. Um, but when we talk about wellness, we're not always talking about something that's healthy and good for our bodies. So now I would like to share a little bit about my experiences grappling with this kind of wellness, this kind of toxic, poisonous diet culture, wellness industry. And it's, it's kind of shocking to look back on it because it wasn't so long ago that I was absolutely wrapped up and it makes me feel sad to think about uh, how unworthy I felt in my body and it's also ridiculous considering you know the size that my body was i'm so fortunate in that i am you know a smaller build and so like like the author wrote in her piece you know i don't have to deal with uh living in a bigger bone body that is already you know 
wrong according to society standards and according to fat fat phobic you know views but um but I remember uh, being in high school and my senior year and I started taking birth control for acne and when I did I gained five pounds omg and when I did uh, by that age I was 18 the idea of like how thin I should be was already so ingrained and also a lot a part of my my school culture, a lot of a part of all the girls' culture that I knew, we were always talking about, you know, health and wellness and like taking care of our bodies, but like, you know, dieting in a in an unhealthy way. So um I was freaked out by those five pounds. I was getting ready to go to college. I think a lot of it also had to do with anxiety around that, but what I decided was I needed to lose weight. Um so that summer I was not in school, had a lot of time. I, I found a plan and that's where that piece about, um, you know, not trusting what you know. Um, and, and to be fair, like I didn't really know how to eat because I never even thought about it that way. I never even thought that like I could be making conscious, healthy decisions for my body. I, th- I grew up kind of with the idea that probably many girls do that there are good foods and bad foods. And I would like eat the bad foods up until an age where I, thought that it might make me fat and that was problematic um and um eat the good foods because they wouldn't make me fat like honestly I think that's kind of how I grew up um so anyway that summer I started um I I, first of all I love turbo jams so no offense to turbo jams but I started doing turbo jams which is like um like a jazzercise. It was like a modern jazzercise. I'd do the videos, um, which was super fun, but it came with a diet guide and that was the problem for me. Um, so they had this little formula you could calculate to like how much calories, how many calories you should eat in a day to like lose the weight that you wanted to do, like a little um, calculation thing you could do. And because I was so small already, the number that they gave me was 900 calories. So without questioning it, without an awareness of like what, you know, humans need to eat to live, um, I started aiming for 900 calories a day and working out with the video and then also training for a half marathon. So I was running um, anywhere between like three to 12 miles, um, often doing like two a day is like the workout and the running. Um, And I didn't see anything wrong with that. I didn't see anything wrong with that, which is like heartbreaking to me. And I remember all my friends going to a um, an ice cream store one night and I literally cried. I don't know if it was there or afterwards, but I knew that I cried because I wanted to eat the ice cream and I just couldn't. Um, so if you haven't caught on already, I had a lot of internalized fat Phobia. This idea that like anything other than a perfectly thin body was bad and I would do anything to avoid being fat. And like just step back and look at how wrong that is. How wrong it is for like a young girl to be like treating herself that way. And also how wrong that concept is to determine like good or bad based on somebody's body size is ridiculous um but I didn't realize that right so eventually I went to college I ended up gaining weight because it was college and because I wasn't at a healthy weight to begin with and then I would restrict um because I was 
uh, gaining weight and then I would be hungry. Eventually started binging like um, in the cafeteria. When I moved to New York, um, I remember like I started teaching and I would eat pack really healthy lunches like again like good foods like just like in the category of good or bad they were good foods I didn't like them like a lot of times I would eat like just like a huge Tupperware full of kale like not necessarily with dressing like it was just um to avoid being fat (laughs) um and then I would binge like late at night because I was starving um Thankfully, what happened for me was, one, I got into therapy and food was definitely something that we talked about. Um, There was a book that my therapist recommended called Women, Food, and God, which um, you might want to check out. It has to do with like um, spirituality as it connects to what we eat and how women kind of restrict themselves in a way that denies them of more than just food. Um, But the big thing that changed for me was I found veganism. And... I think what's cool about that and and interesting is that vegan could totally be one of those things where it's like a a BS wellness uh, fad and you're doing it. And, and honestly, you know, I still was, had so much internalized like body shame that, um, for me, part of it at least was just to, you know, be thin. Um, but what happened was that I started listening to myself more because when I kind of cleaned my system of uh, the food I had binged on plus the food I was like forcing myself to eat I started to be able to notice what I actually enjoyed eating and when I did enjoy eating healthy foods and then when it felt good to um, indulge in something or not even indulge but you know choose to eat something um, that had more calories Um, and and the 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 vegan aspect of it kind of gave me permission to do that because it was like, you know, I wasn't eating cake. I was eating vegan cake. So, um, that's a problematic way to go about being vegan, but I will say like, I'm glad that that's the path that got me to understanding intuitive eating. And that's something that, um, that, uh, Jessica Noel talks about too, is that eventually she finds a nutritionist who recommends that she eats intuitively. Um, and the idea behind that is just eating the way that you did when you were a kid. You eat when you're hungry. Sometimes you eat for fun. Sometimes you eat emotionally. You don't usually stuff your your face when you're full. You don't eat to be thin or fat. You eat to nourish your body. Um, and you eat because it's a cultural thing too, and that's not bad. Um, and I think it took and is still taking. Like I'm, I've made so, so, so much progress um, in intuitive eating. And what I've also found is that my body weight has totally um, evened out. I don't. I think I've been the same weight for the past three years, which is pretty remarkable because throughout college I went from. 120 when I got in at one point I was 140 um and kind of anywhere in between there and I have stayed the same way I think because I have found something that actually works um for me which is just eating the way that my body wants and needs um in no way am I perfect and this article has really challenged me to address the internalized fat phobia that I still have, the ways that I still regard, you know, my belly as a problem um, because it doesn't look like the Photoshop pictures in a magazine, right? Um, And also how that 
uh, affects my relationships with others or my view of others, my interactions with others. Because if I'm thinking that my belly is a problem, then I'm also holding those unfair Uh, assumptions about other people that I interact with and about their bodies and that is so unfair um and one thing I realized you know when I was thinking about this is the way that I um probably unknowingly think about people in my yoga classes and make assumptions about you know who's fit and who is um you know, more athletic or whatever, based on what they look like, which is not a realistic way to make that decision, right? The the people themselves, um, everybody can know, knows for themselves whether they feel fit and healthy and are able to do the things that they want and need to do, and that is absolutely no none of anyone else's business. Um, so, whew, that is my journey to being a lot more physically well. And I, I really uh, want to second what Noel writes about and that my idea of wellness is not being thin. And sometimes I have to check myself because I associate those two together. And, and you know, I do that without judgment, knowing that that is something the society puts on us. Um, but I really want to continue to challenge myself to think about wellness for myself as something that... Um, is very personal, has to do with my physical well-being, but also my mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being, and depends, is contextual. It depends on the day, the uh, circumstances I'm in, this level of stress or amount of sleep I'm getting, right? Um, And it isn't something that I can decide by looking at my body, and definitely isn't something that I can decide by looking at anyone else's. Um, Just a couple more facts about the wellness industry to really drive it home. Uh, Forbes writes about uh, the wellness trends, the rising wellness trends, and writes, um, the global wellness industry has grown 12.8% since 2015 from $3.7 to $4.2 trillion. So people are making money off of this, and by the way, they're like white men. Um, and that increase is reflected in the myriad new and expanded companies, products, and trends, uh, which means there's more decisions for us to make, and there's even more uh, self-doubt associated with it. Um, also, Latham Thomas had a quote that I thought was really powerful. Um, he writes, in the age of social media, and particularly Instagram, I believe the pressure people feel to engage in performative wellness creates anxiety, self-doubt, and depression. I love that phrase, performative wellness. Um, And I think that's something to think about. Like, why am I going to yoga class? Is it because I want to because it feels good? Is it because I'm afraid of being fat, right? Because that's something I need to interrogate. Is it because I want to post about it online? That's something to interrogate. Um, Is it because I want it for my emotional health? great awesome you know and I need that more than you know a huge cardio workout that I used to need to do to stay a certain body size um and then this idea that that's compounded on social media um and that's something you can think about too when you see other people's pictures like is this performative wellness is this person selling me something that I need to buy or 
um, perpetuating these like false and fat phobic beliefs or are they um, discussing and engaging with a real wellness, a wellness that resonates with me that has to do more with my individual well-being and um, my overall sense of um, health. And the last piece I wanted to add was just from my girl Lizzo. If you don't know Lizzo, honey, put her on your Spotify right now. Um, Lizzo is an artist who is all about self-love and female empowerment and body positivity. And um, she is really interesting because um, it's very organic. I think the way that she sells it, I think she is she's someone who is engaging in this real idea of wellness. And it's not a performative thing where it's like she knows that like body positive is a hashtag on Instagram. It's like because that's something she truly believes in and that gets across 100%. Um, I'm just going to read a quote from a conversation with her in NPR on NPR um, when asked about the public conversation around self-love, which I think can be equated to wellness to some extent. She writes, or she says, I say this on stage to everybody. I'm not going to sell you the commercialized self-love. I'm not going to sell you the hashtag self-care. I'm not into that. I feel of responsibility as a pioneer in this wave of body positivity to push the narrative further. Now that everyone's caught up and now that it's mainstream, the pioneers have a responsibility to take it further. And I'm taking it even further with self-actualization and how to use our emotions constructively to better deepen our relationship with self-love and ourselves. I'm not even going to get into it, but they're just saying like self-care is all facials and mimosas and there are people using the term body positivity, but still posting like really gorgeous glamour shots. And I get it. That's fine. Everyone deserves to speak on it. Everyone deserves to have ownership of their body positivity, but I'm not going to settle for that anymore. And then she concludes, I think that there is some something to emotions and vulnerability and expressing those emotions in a more vulnerable way to yourself. And I think we haven't tapped into, I think there's also something to realizing that bad days are still self-loving days and you can still practice self-care on bad days because these are the days that aren't really glamorized or talked about or commercialized yet. It gets real nitty gritty and it gets real deep and it gets real dark. And I think that's the next step in talking about self-love in this mainstream space End quote my queen Lizzo. Um, so to recap, <laughs> um, you need to decide for yourself what wellness is. It's not what I say it is. It's not the way that I live my life. And it's not the way that Lizzo lives her life. It's what you need to feel your best. It's what you need to feel good about your emotions, your spirituality, and your sense of well-being. It is not fitting into a specific size of clothing or looking like somebody that you've seen on TV. Okay, and here is the first take some time off tip list of season two. Um, this is where I'll end with some really practical next steps to take so that you can um, put what we've been thinking about into practice or consider doing so, right? So just some ideas to try. So the first one is check your internalized fat phobia. 
even if you're like, no, I've come a long way because that that's me. Like, I feel like I have come a long way, but I realize that there's so much more I need to do to really be okay with myself and to not be fat phobic. Um, so you can do that by just noticing the way that you talk about yourself, talk about your body, talk about your food choices. And if you want more info on what fat phobia is, I'm going to, um, list some accounts in my show notes, um, some body positive and fat anti-fat phobia accounts, um, that people recommended to me on my Instagram. I'll put those in the show notes so you can check them out and, um, get some more ideas from them, but check that now, right? We don't want to be treating ourselves like that. Okay. Step number two or tip number two is talk to your friends about it. Um, can we get to a point where it's not socially acceptable to put ourselves down in public or anywhere, right? Can it get to a point where, um, it's not normal or okay to call yourself names like fat if that's not how you identify or um you know have have derogatory names for parts of your body um so when you see your friends doing that or hear your friends doing that can you engage with them kindly about it can you talk to them about maybe why they are talking to themselves like that and um, how it makes you feel, the fat phobia that's associated with all of that. Okay, tip number three, rethink your wellness practices if they are making you A, stressed, or B, broke. Got that? You don't need to be stressed or broke to be well. So if you are supposed to go to a yoga class, but you are tired and (laughs) you're like dreading it, you don't need to go. You don't need to go. If it's going to make your mental health, your overall well-being worse, then don't go. Oh my gosh. And like I'm saying that to myself because I, a lot of times I'm like, I have to run today. I have to run today. And it's like, oh, I really have to relax today. That's actually what would make me feel well. Um, but there are also times obviously where you need to push yourself because you know that it's really going to make you feel better. And, and that's something you can do the work, right? You don't need anybody else to tell you um, when or when, when to do something or when not to That's something you can figure out for yourself, just like you can figure out what makes you feel good to eat too. Right. Um, but you don't need to get stressed to be well, and you also don't need to be broke to be well. So there are tons of free ways to engage in wellness. Um, you can get really inexpensive produce. Um, that's actually, I've, at least I found for me that when I'm eating more, um, like fresh, foods, um, raw foods and, um, non-processed foods. I'm actually spending so much less at the grocery because produce is like kind of the cheapest, um, to buy for the most part. Um, you can also go on walks. You can also get free videos online. Um, maybe I can even post a free video for you, um, at some point on my website or on my YouTube account. Um, but there's, lots of free ways to be well and there's um lots of free apps that um monitor um that can engage with mental health one is hug a group um which is something i've been involved in 
um, with meditation. There's also Insight Timer, which is like a lot of meditations and guided talks. Um, so there is a lot of free wellness out there and um, also lots of free like class offerings around town in most places, right? So don't go broke trying to be well. That's not well, right? So part of wellness might be your financial well-being. Um, tip number four, one, two, three, four, open up to the idea that wellness can be whatever you want. So define it for yourself and start to kind of rethink that. And then tip number five, get yourself listening to Lizzo. Um, I'd recommend her song Juice to start out um, or Truth Hurts. Um, but she's a queen and she is a really motivational, at least for me, a really mo- motivational figure who makes me feel like um, I don't need to change myself to uh, fit anybody's image and that I know what's best for me. So that's it. I hope that you have enjoyed episode one of season two of Take Some Time Off. I am so, so happy to be engaging with you again. Um, I want to continue to build this community. I want to talk to you. So um, if you want to talk to me, you can do so at Take Some Time Off Podcast or subscribe um, to my newsletter um, and get more info at www.mavewall.com. And um, you can also get super involved through Patreon. Um, If you want to check out my Patreon, you can go to my website to get there. Um, but that way, um, like I said, you can be in some private groups and also get, um, frequent newsletters and stuff like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get mindful and be well. Bye.